Well, good morning again. Morning to those present here. Morning to you guys watching us online. It is good to be together again. And let us keep on praying. Amen. Uh, a continuous prayer in our hearts. As we hear news, let's keep on doing it. There is no doubt we are definitely living in the, in the time period that Jesus called the lost days. The, the birth pangs, the birth pangs, you know. And um, so let is, let's not allow fear to grip our hearts but rather faith and also anticipation because we know the coming of the Lord is getting nearer and nearer. Amen? But let's pray for the people in those conflict areas. Well, we are today in the final part of our XOXO series. And today our topic is love your spouse. But believe me, this message is not only for married people, okay? There is something else for everybody. For the single ones and for the married ones and for the ones considering marriage, for the ones that have given up on marriage, there is something up for everybody, hopefully. So let's open up our hearts uh, to this message. Now, in, in, throughout this month, as we've been talking about love, every topic we've covered in terms of love your neighbor, love your friend, love your enemy, uh, we have not gone in depth into any of them. They've been biblical, they've been scriptural, and we've covered important uh, things on each one of those kinds of love, but um, we haven't really gone in depth, and today is no difference. You know, there's so much that one can say about the marriage relationship, and so today, this is not a... Uh, a, a, a sort of marriage seminar, okay? It is, you see, there's a lot that can be said because if it was easy, if it was easy to, to love our spouse, as you might think, oh, love your spouse, that, that, that's an easy thing. You know, I'm married to him, I'm married to her, it's easy to love. Well, if it was so easy to love your spouses and live happily ever after, we wouldn't see such a high rate of divorce. And we wouldn't see such a high rate of unhappy marriages, and unfortunately, the statistics stare back at us saying, you know what, it, it, all, it may all be all very well on the wedding day, oh, lovey-dovey. But unfortunately, the whole lifelong process of loving your spouse doesn't do too well. Therefore, this message is not a marriage enrichment message, nor a course on how to have a better marriage. That would take many lessons. And in fact, when I, when I prepare couples for marriage, I, I spend quite a bit of time giving them some lessons and, and preparing them for marriage. And yet, with all that information at hand, I have had some couples opting for divorce after a relatively short time of marriage. Now, what is the reason for that? The reason is that it does not matter how much you know about marriage. It does not matter how much you know what the Bible says about marriage or relationships or anything else. It doesn't matter how much you know if you do not intentionally practice the things that you know. And that is where the rubber meets the tar. Okay, because it's easy for you to go to seminars, to watch lessons, to read books, and get all the knowledge and all the wisdom. <laughs> the proof of the pudding comes in actually practicing it in your relationship, whatever that relationship might be. You see, the Bible says you must be what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. In fact, the Bible says that if we are hearers only, we are deceiving ourselves. 
Ouch! <laughs> okay? So no matter what topic we study in the Word of God, we need to be doers. And the focus of today's message is how to love your spouse. Now, sometimes you do hear a husband or a wife complaining about their spouse. My husband this, my wife that. And what they seem to forget is that they chose that spouse. You handpicked, I mean, of all the options in this world, you picked this one. And said, you better be mine. My wife, my husband. <laughs> Only to a few months or years later going, I don't know if that says something about your husband or about your choice. Okay, I'm trying to bring some humor, I guess, but you know what I mean. Now, perhaps they did not apply some biblical wisdom when choosing their partner, and that happens. And I've seen that, you know, in my years of ministry and years of observation, sometimes people rush into a marriage and they don't choose properly for whatever reason. You know, there are reasons, there are you know, viable reasons, and people trying to escape a certain reality, they run into another hoping it will be better, but they do not realize they are breaking biblical wisdom, biblical principles. The Bible warns us not to be unequally yoked. Are you hearing? Especially you younger ones who have not married yet. Listen carefully. Okay? The Bible says do not be unequally yoked. That means you to look for certain basic compatibilities before you commit to marriage. I'm going to give just a, a couple of them here. No, not all of them. For example, choose a companion of the same faith as you. Choose a companion of the same faith as you. How many couples haven't I seen? Haven't I observed? He likes her, she likes him because of the looks, because of the physical attraction, whatever. And boom, they go and they get married. Only to find out soon after the wedding, when, they, when kids come along or when certain issues come up concerning their faith, that they are not compatible. Sometimes those issues begin even before marriage. And so, for example, a, a Muslim and a Christian, even a Protestant and a Catholic, they both fall under the Christian umbrella. But they are very different in their ways of worshiping and beliefs. And they can be contradictions. Sometimes even different Protestant denominations try and get a Presbyterian and a Charismatic together. All right? And, and so be very careful because it might start well off in the beginning, but down the line you're going to pick up some serious, serious trouble. Try and get a, a fiery born-again believer and then just a nominal Christian sympathizer. Now, those marriages may actually work on the surface. And I've seen good marriages between like a believer and an unbeliever. The problem is that unbeliever is only partially satisfied. Because they know there could be more. There should be more. And so we have to be very careful, guys. And the word is very clear about, about that, you know. So choose a companion of the same faith. Listen, look around. Sometimes even two committed Christians, okay, believers, have problems in their marriage. So how much more are you looking for trouble when you're not in the same faith? Now, I remember I said just now, and it's a, it's a, it's a fact for whole humanity, 
in all levels, in all countries. Our hearts, our human hearts, tend towards evil. That's human nature. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need worship. That's why we need church. That's why we need the Bible. That's why we need Jesus. To keep on aligning us back to the way God created us to be. Because when we are left alone, our tendency is towards evil. Towards finding fault. Towards selfishness. Towards my way and nothing to do with your way, no matter how much I love you. All right? And that can infiltrate into relationships. You might start, ah, we we love each other, we're young, we'll sort all these things out later. And later never comes because then families get involved, churches get involved, all sorts of things get involved. So be very careful. Choose a companion of the same faith as you. No matter how much it hurts, do not get into a relationship if it's not that. Okay? Excuse me. The other one, friendship before romance. Friendship before romance. We live in a culture that worships the sensual. Boy and girl, they meet each other. They have a physical attraction for each other. And uh, because they are good looking and so forth. And the next thing, they are in bed together. Mm, Nice. And, and, And media portrays that. Movies portray that. It seems to be the norm. Hey, guys, it's not the norm. <laughs> the norm is what the Lord says, what God says. Not everybody is doing it. Don't come with that. Everybody's not doing it. The norm is friendship before romance. Get to know the person, get to know the friends, get to know the family. Become friends first, and then you can consider romance. One more living together is a bad idea. It's become common today. Some years back, it was frowned upon. Today, it's almost the normal run of things. You meet each other, you like each other, you live together, and then you get married. Sometimes you live together, have a couple of kids, and then you get married. That has become almost the norm and acceptable today. That is not the biblical norm. And sometimes these things work, most times they don't. I've lost count how many couples, how many people I've seen, I've known about, that start off that way only to lead to heartache and heartbreak. Because the longer they've been together like that and then they break up, the more pain there is, the more suffering there is. And unfortunately, even amongst Christians, this is becoming a trend these days. Guys, be careful. It's not biblical and it's going to lead to pain. But now, so these are just a few things. There are more things in the Bible which we should follow in getting ready for marriage, avoiding uh, certain things and embracing other things as God leads us. The fact is, even secular marriage counselors, they agree that living together does not guarantee a better marriage. Statistics shows that couples who live together before marriage have a higher divorce rate than those who did not. That's statistics staring back at you. So the Bible was right all along, okay? But even couples who have followed these principles and others and and tried to do things right, even couples who have followed biblical patterns can face difficult days in their marriage. And of course they would. Why? Because we still remain human. We are all fallen. We are all broken one way or the other. And, And given a bad day, I don't care how sweet you're looking at today, given a bad day, you're going to go sour. You're going to behave badly. And you're going to say some ugly things, including this guy in front. Ask my wife. I've had some bad days too, all right? So we all will have bad days. 
But you don't have to put a pause on marriage because of bad days. And that's why we're talking about this, loving your spouse in spite of who you are, in spite of being human, in spite of having bad days. You see, I believe that couples can overcome difficulties and rekindle their love for one another. I believe that those couples who have a good marriage can have even a better marriage. Because God is a God of love. God does not have love. He is love. And therefore, the more we connect with him, the more access we've got to love with capital L. And the more access we've got to his love, the more we can love one another. The more we can love our spouse. Hello? And as we turn to the word of God, we learn more principles in how to do this. Now, in this series, we have emphasized the importance of agape love, the love that wants the best for the other. But when it comes to making your choice of a spouse, you're not going to use agape love only. As you know, the Greek has other words for love, and you're going to make use of two other kinds of love. Why? Because when you're choosing a spouse, you're looking for something that you like. Okay? And so you're going to make use of two things. You're going to make use of eros love. That's the physical attraction love. That is probably the first type of love that happens in your relationship. Girl looks at guy and says, uh-huh. Boy looks at guy and says, you la la. All right? They don't even know each other, but they really like each other. Why? It's eros, physical attraction. And that's okay. Because remember, you're going to have to live with this person. You're going to have to look at them for the rest of your life. You might as well look at something you like. Even though they're going to change in time. And, but that's only the first one. Then the next love kicks in. Phileo. Phileo, which is the friendship love, emotional love. So you go, ooh, la, la, nice way. And you start talking and you realize that you actually have things in common. You, you, you like talking to each other. You become friends. You know, it, it happens, you know, that, that a guy meets this girl, or the girl sees this guy, and, and they try to strap a, strike up a conversation, but the guy is just muscle, no brains, eh? The girl is all beauty, but duh, you know? <laughs> happens. <laughs> but when you, we start talking to each other, you oh, hang on, we've got things in common, we, we, we like certain things, and we, we enjoy being together, uh, there's an emotional connection, there's a friendship connection, that is great, that's the phileo love, and again, it's a selfish kind of love, it's somebody I like talking to, somebody I like spending time with, and that's okay, because I have to spend the rest of my life with this person. Somebody as well choose somebody I can be friends with, I like talking to, and that fulfills me emotionally. You see? So in marriage, you have eros, phileo, and then agape. Agape comes from your mutual love for Christ. Your common faith. That's why faith is so important. Because agape all comes from your faith, your common faith together. Because God is agape. And so you, you have a Part of your marriage is something that you like, you want. And then once you commit to marriage, agape is there all the time. So that those moments when you, when you don't feel very loving, when your partner doesn't feel very loving or very, very lovable, agape kicks in and you still want the best for them. And so you have a, a play of these three loves going on all the time. Now, 
to stay married, you need to continue loving your spouse every day, every single day for the rest of your life. And some of you guys have good genes. You're going to live a long time. And that is why, you know, uh, this, this weekend, oh, a lot of couples said, I do, I do, I do put the ring on. I do, I do. Do they? On the wedding day, it's easy. You do anything. Let's talk again in two years' time, five years' time, 10 years' time, 20 years' time. In May, my wife and I will be, <laughs> will be 42 years. <laughs> I've, been talking about, I've been talking about I do. I was going to say my wife and I have been doing it for 42 years, but I thought you guys might have bad thoughts, so I didn't say it. <laughs> Amen. And you see, the thing is, before getting married... You look at each other, and you could see no fault. She's so perfect. He's so perfect. Oh, everything she says, oh, you know, everything he does is right. You are in love. You are infatuated with one another. All you need is love. You know, it's love and the air that you breathe. That's all you need to live. <laughs> but a few months or years after your marriage, you find that your partner is changing. And you'll notice, it's always your partner that changes, not you. You remain your sweet old self forever, right? But somehow, your partner begins to change. And you begin to wonder, what's going on here? Who did I marry? (laughs) Why does this happen? You see, life is happening. Responsibilities are growing. You're building a career or or a business. You're growing a family. You, You don't seem to have the energy you had before. And it may seem as if love is not as strong as it was before. You begin to wonder if you still love each other. And of course, the way movies and soapies portray marriage doesn't help either. Marriage is heavily represented in the media, but not always in the best light. You find people falling in love with each other and out of love with each other, all based on feelings and emotions. And uh, that is not how you keep your marriage. And that is not how you love your spouse. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, and here is what we read about the first marriage, all right? The first marriage. And even though it was the first marriage with only two human beings present, you find some universal principles established in that first marriage. You go to Genesis chapter 2, you're reading from verses 18 to 25. And the Lord God said, it is not good. That man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. And every bird of the air. And brought them to Adam. To see what he would call them. Jesus, this guy had brains. Eh? To give a different name to everything coming past him. Eh? And Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature. That was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds, the the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper compatible 
for him. So all, the, all these creatures combust him. He names all of them, but none of them he could have a relationship with. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. It's interesting that when God made man of the mud, he made man. And and the word here for the woman is God formed, God shaped the woman. That's why man is made and a woman is shaped. Carrying on. And God brought her to Adam. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woe man, woe man, a man with a woman. Anyway, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, God said, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Imagine a church service before the fall. Yeah, you can imagine that, okay? No shame, okay? Now, so the first thing we learn from this passage is this, that marriage, the union of one man and one woman for life is God's idea. It's not a social construct. Therefore, something which God established from the beginning cannot be redefined like politicians are doing today. Okay? Politics cannot redefine what God created, what God made, what God established. They can call it anything else they want to call it, but a biblical marriage is one man, one woman united for life. Hello? Until one of them dies. All right? And that's important. As Christians, we need to be aware of that. Please, guys, let's be aware of that. No matter what social pressures are put on us, this is what the Word of God says. Now, And you notice from the beginning, the beginning of the passage, when God was creating the earth, every time he creates something, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates the man, Adam. And he says, oh, not good. (laughs) Not good. Man on his own, a male on his own, not so good. And so God had to create a helper for him. And when he brought them together, then God said, oh, this is very good. Okay, as you read later in the passage. So Adam named all the animals, but there was no companion for him. God made a comparable companion for Adam. And verse 21 says that God took a a rib out of, a a, a bone out of Adam to make Eve. But verse 23 says that Adam says, this is bone of my bone, correct, the rib. But he also says, flesh of my flesh. Why is that? You see, the, the Hebrew word for bone can also mean side. So maybe God didn't just take a bone. He took a side, a bit of bone and a bit of flesh. And out of that, he formed, he shaped Woman, all right, which is a bit of a larger portion. Now, that surgery that God did was not made to remove an imperfection of Adam, Adam's body, but rather to add something essential and beautiful to Adam's existence. And keep this in mind. Sometimes when God does surgery in us, be it emotional surgery, spiritual surgery, you go, ouch, Lord, keep this in mind. Sometimes God does things in us, not just to remove bad stuff, but to create something beautiful 
in our lives and for our lives. Now, God could have created woman out of earth. Just like he made Adam, he could have made woman too. But then it would be like two totally individual beings. You see, what God is doing is this. He's creating woman out of man so that in essence they are the same. And that's why the Bible says that out of one blood, God created all the nations of the earth. Because out of this man came woman. Out of man and woman came children. Out of all these children, the multiplication of children, the moving of children, came the nations that you see around us. And although today we might look a little bit different in terms of skin pigmentation and the angle of your eyes or whatever, we all come from the same blood. And that's why every human is valuable. That's why the Russians have no right to crush the Ukraines. And that's why racism has no place in this world. Because we are one flesh. I don't care where you come from. I don't care the color of your skin. Cut it. See what happens. We're all the same. Red blood comes out. Under the skin, our bodies are exactly the same. That's why doctors don't have to study different races of bodies. They study one body. They dissect one body. And then they can work with anybody. Because we are all from the same source. Oh, there's a big lesson right there, man. Think about it. Okay, let's move on. So, God shaped and formed the woman. And he brought to Adam. And when Adam saw her, he said, Whoa, man! And that's why she's called woman. Wow. All right. And God brought them together. All right. Man passes out from solitude to multiplicity, to community. Adam went from being alone to having somebody to do life with. And that is a challenge that many face when they get married. Depending on how long you have been single, before you get married, you get used to doing life your way, your own terms. And then you get married and you have to share everything and you're not used to it, okay? And that sometimes becomes a challenge. As stated throughout our series, True Love, is not solely based on feelings or emotion, but it's a choice. A choice to put ourselves aside and love others, even when we don't feel like it or when we think they don't deserve it. In marriage, we have chosen this person to be our spouse, our lifelong partner. So the love that a married man and woman have between them is special because it involves a number of choices for each other. So because I'm married to my wife, a number of choices I'm going to make, I'm going to make it for her, thinking of her, of what is good for her, what she likes, and so forth. And the same thing from her side. Uh, there are some issues we'll have to sit down and discuss together before we make a choice, because I can't just go and make a choice because I like it, because now my life is blended with hers. Marriage is a covenant between a man, a woman, and God, and should end only by the death of one of the spouses. Listen, marriages are not made in heaven. You hear this all the time. Oh, that's a marriage made in heaven. Rubbish. Marriages are not made in heaven. They are made on earth, guys. Uh-huh. They are made on earth. And it takes down to earth decisions and disciplines to have a happy marriage. If marriages are made in heaven, what a beautiful thing. You don't have to worry. Just 
yeah, just go with it. Nothing with it because made in heaven is perfect. No, they are made on earth between imperfect people, imperfect men and women coming together. And so we need down-to-earth principles. In fact, the very first marriage that took place did not take place in heaven, but here on earth, as we've just read. Amen? So let us look at just two down-to-earth things that love in a marriage requires. Just two things quickly. Number one, love within a marriage requires connectedness. Listen to me. Marriage, love in a marriage requires connectedness. It's amazing how many guys and girls, they get married, but they think they can still love as individuals. He spends time with his buddies and in sport and with his family, blah. She spends time with the girlfriends and the mommy and the parents and da, 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 and they can only meet for supper and to go to bed. Uh-uh. Marriage requires connectedness. All right? Connectedness. In, in marriage, your spouse should be the closest person to you on earth. Because think of it. Your friends and, 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 and other family and so on, they'll have lives of their own. They, they're going to move. They're going to go to other places, follow their careers. But you and your husband, you're kind of stuck with each other. So you might as well make each other your best friend. Adam declares that Eve has now become, you know, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, indicating their oneness. You see, now, Eve, she did come out of Adam. But once they, were, they came together before God, they were two individual people. They were not physically connected. And so this oneness that God is saying, they become one flesh, they become one, has to do with a choice to be one. My wife and I are not, we're not connected. We don't have some kind of connection between us. She goes there, I go, yeah, we're totally independent human beings. We have independent thoughts and desires and everything else. For us to be connected, it must be a choice. We choose to be connected. We choose to share. We choose to do things together. We choose for each other. Amen? Verse 24 sets a precedent for all future marriages. Adam and Eve did not have human parents, although they were going to be parents one day. And verse 24 goes on to explain that because as husband and wife they are one, they are removed from the umbrella of their parents and are joined together permanently. It is incredible how many people get married, but the husband is, is always listening to mommy. Whatever mommy says goes. He listens to mommy before he listens to his wife. It's amazing how many girls get married, but then it's always mommy and daddy, mommy and daddy, and she doesn't do anything with her husband unless she gets permission from mommy and daddy first. Come on. A husband and wife become a unit, and they are there for each other. The parents have done their job. Now it's their turn to move back and allow this new couple to begin and to form their own home and move on. Now, this does not mean that there should not be love, affection, and practical support from parents. What it means is that parents are not to interfere in their children's lives and, and choices in marriage unless invited to do so. It means that children are to cleave to each other as they build their, their, their lives together and not keep running to mommy and, and daddy every time there is an argument or misunderstanding between them. It is okay, however, for the couple by mutual consent to approach either or both parents for counsel or assistance. Their choice must be consistently and permanently for each other. Making sense? For each other. Remember that. It's not the community. It's not the family. It's not the elders. It's not the parents. It's not the pastor. It's each other. Anybody else will come by mutual consent and mutual choice. Let that one drop. 
Marriage is built on a commitment to sacrificially love one another, no matter the circumstance. Second one, love within a marriage requires intimacy. Sex within a marriage is a gift that God has given, which results in other gifts, like children and pleasure. Some religious folk, they think that sex is exclusively for procreation in marriage. And they've got some weird ideas about that. Listen, that is wrong. Sex is for procreation sometimes and recreation all the time. God's idea, man. Enjoy. As husband and wife under the biblical umbrella of blessing. However, intimacy also involves vulnerability. Verse 25 says that before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And yet today, people, we live in a culture of shame. You are being, being made to be ashamed of everything. Media tells you you're not good enough. You don't look good enough. Your hair is not good enough. Your clothes are not good enough. Your face is not good enough. Your body is not good enough. Your socials is not good enough. Your house is not We live in a culture pushing shame onto us all the time. And that shame can infiltrate into our marriage relationships. Loving our spouses means accepting them for all they are, whether they physical nakedness, emotional nakedness, or otherwise. It is a sad fact that some husbands and wives are ashamed of some aspects of their being. Maybe how they look, maybe how they feel, maybe about their social standing. And they allow that shame to become a war between husband and wife that interferes with their intimacy. They shut down emotionally or stop communicating or find endless excuses not to be intimate with their spouse. Beware, people. That's a trap of the devil. Listen, Jesus died to, among other things, take our shame away. It's because of Jesus what, what Jesus did, that we can stand without shame in the presence of God, receive from him his grace, and extend that grace to one another, particularly our spouses. If because of what Jesus did, we can stand without shame before God, then surely we should be able to stand without shame in the presence of our spouse. But one thing is required. Both husband and wife must understand the love and the grace of God, receive it from him, and extend that same love and grace to one another. Your spiritual intimacy, the intimacy of our hearts, is what will unlock the intimacy in other areas of your life. You'll feel no shame in being naked about how you feel. Because of how you'll be safe in that relationship with your spouse. Because you both are safe in your relationship with God. You'll be able to navigate the challenges of growing older together. With grace and with humor. Believe me, after a certain age, you need a lot of humor. Okay? Also the couples. And you will not feel alone, nor isolated, nor ashamed. Loving your spouse requires operating in the grace of God. It requires a conscious choice for mutual understanding. It requires an open and ongoing conversation of what is happening in each spouse's lives. 
I often tell couples preparing for marriage that they will not be married to the same person in 10 years' time. Why? Because we change with time, with growing responsibilities, and with age. Our bodies change. Our likes and dislikes change. Something which I enjoyed 10 years ago may not be so exciting today. And my spouse needs to know that. All right? A food I didn't I like long ago, I may not like so much today. And my spouse needs to know that. <laughs> the world is going to keep on feeding me that stuff I don't like. <laughs> we need to communicate, guys. All right? We need to keep the conversation going so that we may love our spouses the way they need to be loved and not the way I think that they should be loved. With the grace of God and by following basic down-to-earth principles, many of them found in the Bible, it is possible to love your spouse. Whether you are single, newly married, considering marriage, scared of marriage, <laughs> or a veteran married couple, keep this message in your heart. You will need it for yourself, or you may use these principles to help somebody else. May we all experience the joy of loving and being loved as you love your spouse. As long as you are on the earth, people, as we close the series. As long as you're on the earth, we all need to relate to others. Let biblical principles guide you as you love your neighbor, as you love your friend, as you even love your enemy, and as you love your spouse. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that your word is timeless. No matter how long ago things happened, no matter how long ago your word was written, it is for us today. And as we act on it, if we act upon it, my God, we will receive the promised results. We will receive the benefits that comes with obedience to your word. And Father, as we close the series on, on relationships, Father, I pray that everyone that has been following it, that has been listening, that you give them each one, my Father, the tenacity, the ability, the strength to put these principles in practice. No matter which kind of love they're exercising, who they're relating to, Lord God. Today I pray a special prayer for couples, my God. Couples here present, couples watching. I know, Father, we're living in, in difficult days, in challenging days, Lord. Challenges with finances, with work, with jobs, with pressures in relationships. In so many ways, my God. I pray, Father, that your love will abide in each one's hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen individuals in their marriages. Strengthen fathers and mothers, husbands and wives. Lord, let there be a, a wave of your love filling each and every home, Lord God. Agape love, my God. So that we may see the fruit of love, joy, peace, and everything that comes with your presence, Lord God, in every home. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We pray this 
In the name of Jesus, Lord. And we pray now that the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may remain with each one, whether married or single, my God, strengthening us, helping us to love and be loved to the glory of your name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for being with us. Enjoy your day and see you next Sunday. God bless you.